If you have kids or if you have grandkids, you have no doubt heard them ask, and and maybe many times, when are we going to get to the good part? As we're watching a movie or maybe you're reading a book, they can't help but look ahead with anticipation and ask the question, when are we going to get to the good part? We're moving through and you have to set up some stuff and there's, there's the context that has to unfold. And, and as they're sitting there, they're leaning in, wondering when the good part is coming. Somewhere, I have the exact date, but about six years ago, I started a six-month sermon series on the gospel of Luke. And today, six years later, maybe you are ready to ask the question, when are we going to get to the good part? Well, today we return to this, the good news of Jesus Christ, his life and his ministry as told to us by Luke. Today we return to the gospel of of Luke. And let me just tell you, it is with great anticipation, it is with a sense of great expectation, and it is also with great trepidation and reverence that I tell you this morning, we are to the good part. This morning we will set the stage for the final act, the final God-glorifying act of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. And so six years in, the message this morning is entitled, Here Comes the Good Part. Today we're in Luke chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 37 and 38. And then in Luke chapter 22, we're going to start the chapter with verses 1 and 2. So again, Luke chapter 21, today verses 37 and then 38, and then starting chapter 22 with verses 1 and 2. Here comes the good part. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Chapter 21, beginning in the 37th verse, says this. Now, during the day, he was teaching in the temple, but at evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. Verse 38, and all the people would come, get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today, and I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for my hope and, and my salvation, the forgiveness of sins that comes to the cross of Calvary. Lord, I'm thankful for a gracious and kind Lord, a a Lord that that shows tremendous love to me. Lord, I'm thankful for the truth of your word, and I I pray we would not neglect to see how tremendous it is that we're not tossed about, but we have the truth of your word. Lord, I'm thankful for the gospel of Luke. I'm thankful for your word, your truth. I'm thankful for the account of the, the birth and the life of Jesus Thankful for the the account that reveals our salvation. Lord, I pray that today as we move to these last three chapters that you would lead us, that it would truly be a special thing, that you would speak to us, that that you would open our eyes, that we would see these last three chapters. Maybe, Lord, as we've never seen them before. I pray that you would move in your church, that you would work through your church. Lord, I pray for myself that you would... Again, show me and reveal me who you are, that I would, I would draw closer to you. And I pray the result of all of this would be 
you would be greatly glorified. Lord, we love you. We do praise you. We worship you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, to start off, it seems pretty audacious. It seems pretty brazen to say that this is the good part. After all, this is all the word of God. This has all been inspired, breathed out from our creator God. It has all been the revealing of our savior, Jesus. And let me just tell you, honestly, it has all been very awesome. As I flipped across these pages preparing to go back into this study, I, I came across these, these beloved accounts. And let me just tell you, I love the account of Jesus' birth, especially here in the Gospel of Luke. I, I love this account. Let me just tell you, I'm, I'm ready for Christmas right now. In two weeks, it'll be here. I love to, to hear the words of the angel. Listen to this. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Those are the actual words proclaimed at the birth of Jesus. Oh, I love that. I love that story. I love what the angels sing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Can you, can you hear that pronounced at the voices of angels? I love the account of the birth of Jesus. I take great hope. We have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love the account of the birth of Jesus. It's not the best part. I love the baptism of Jesus. Really a pretty profound thing if we think about it. All of the members of the Trinity are involved in this one event. I love that the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Can you imagine? This is an actual event and the, the Holy Spirit of God descends like a dove and, and, and the Father says, you are my beloved son in you I am well pleased. His, his words of affirmation given to his son. How, how awesome is that? There's the son and there's the, the, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and there's the, the proclamation of the father, my son in whom I am well pleased. I love that. That is awesome. It's not the best part. I love Luke chapter four. Jesus starts his public ministry and all that's involved in that, can you imagine how, how radical his claims are? How, how insane that must sound for the, for the Savior to come and to make the claims that he makes. I love the account there in Luke chapter 4. He is there in the synagogue. And he takes the words of Isaiah. The Bible says, the Gospel of Luke says that he, he opens the book. He reads these words, 700 years old. Spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Jesus takes the book and he says that there, there, he's there in the synagogue and he, he opens the book of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And the, and the Bible says, Luke's gospel says, and he closed the book. 
and all of the eyes were fixed upon him. Every eye in the room is set upon him. And I imagine you could have heard a pin drop. And Jesus says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine that? This is the revelation of me. That's what he says. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. You've waited for your hope. And he says, and he shuts the ancient book and says, I am your hope. I love that. It's not the best part. I love the account of the calling and the training of the 12, really many accounts. I love how he teaches them. I love the process when he calls them. Pretty, pretty awesome how he calls these, these guys and he calls them to himself and then, and then he begins to train them for this mission. And I think about that. He is always teaching for the mission. He's always training for the mission and it's a mission that they'll complete without him. How amazing is that? He's going to ascend and, and go to heaven. He knows that. And so it's a mission that's imperative that they, they understand it, that they can operate it, that they would take it up in his absence. And so he's training for the mission. He's teaching for the mission. I, I love the part where he, he tells them, you've been out there fishing, but from now on you'll be catching men. How strange does that sound? You know what? From now on, you'll be, you'll be catching men. Tomorrow night we go out. Our goal is that we will be catching men. He gives them the mission up front. I love that. It's not the best part. I love the accounts of his miracles. And you read across this and you get Dr. Luke's perspective on these miracles. And I love as, as you pass through these chapters to, to see all that's, that's involved in the, in the accounts of these miracles, the centurion's servant. And, and we read the account, that's in Luke chapter 7, and, and, and Christ says, a, a man of such great faith, oh, your faith. And that person is healed before they even get there. Chapter 8, the, the garrison demoniac. And, and what an awesome thing. Here's this person in, in torment, absolute torment. Their life is stalled out and they exist in oppression and torment. Jesus casts out those demons and the person is set free. And he says, oh, let me go with you. Let me go with you. He, he actually tries to get in the boat. Oh, let me go with you. And he says, no, you go back and you tell them what's happened to you. I love that account, chapter 9, the feeding of the multitudes. Maybe we hear that so many times as we, as we grow up as, as young children, we, we lose the astonishment with that. Can you imagine? That's an actual event. That's not a superstition, not a fable. The feeding of the multitude, and there's another meal, and another meal, and another meal. Look over there. They're not going to get to eat, and there's another meal, and another meal. Oh, look at the multitude, and there's another meal, and another meal. Surely those hundred back there, there's, it's not going to, and another meal, and another meal. Can you imagine Jesus during that? Pass it out. Does he smile? Pass it out. Actual events pointing to who he was. Today there's a cloud around the, the miraculous. Sometimes we, we want it to point to us or, or to point to something else. All of those miraculous events said Jesus is the Savior. All of those miraculous events said Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the one. They all pointed to the truth of who he was. 
He truly is the Savior sent of God. I, I love that. It's not the best part. I love his parables, his stories that reveal himself and really reveal his own heart. And I, I don't know if I, as I move through that, I, I love these parables. I love the, the parable of the lost sheep. And he tells of the, the, the man that had a hundred sheep. He has a hundred sheep. His day is secure. His wealth is secure. He has a hundred sheep, but one of them strays away and he leaves the hundred sheep. That's an illogical thing. That's not a smart thing. Here are the, the hundred sheep, and one of them's gone. The 99 are still here. And he leaves the 99. And the Bible says he goes into the open pasture, he goes out into the danger. And he finds the one lamb that strayed. And the Bible says he picks it up and he lays it across his shoulders and he returns to the fold. I love how he tells the neighbors when he gets back, rejoice, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. How awesome that picture is. You see, I am that sheep. You are that sheep. And he leaves the 99 and he seeks out the one out in the midst of the danger and he picks us up and he brings us home. Rejoice over the one that was gone and now is home. I love the story of the faithful father. I've changed the name. It used to be called the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15. I love this story of the faithful father. Though his own son shames him, keep your name, keep your stuff, keep your inheritance. I know better. I have a better way. Though his own son rebels and leaves him, cares not for his love, cares not for his provision. His own flesh and blood son shames him and leaves him and rebels against him. The father waits. When you read the account, the father watches and he waits and he watches and he waits until the day that the, the, the son comes back into view. And the Bible says that he runs. Luke tells us he runs and, and quickly he, he grabs his son and he picks up his son and he, he very quickly says, bring forth the best robe, get the best robe and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. He's back in the fold. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. No son of mine will go around barefoot. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the fatted calf for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost but now he He's found. I love that account. I love how he restores him as if he never left. Oh, that is my father, our father. I love that account. Like he never left. It's not the best part. It's not the best part. I could go on and on. All of that. All of it true. All of it, our Savior's story. It's not the best part. How could it not be? How audacious of a thing to say. How, how brazen. What could be better than that? What could be better than the, the life and the times of our Savior Jesus? How could that not be the best part? 
Friends, six years in, the best part. It is the part where sin is defeated. Death is conquered. The grave that we've stood by, the grave is forever declared powerless. The best part is where redemption is forever and ever and ever secured. The best part is when fully Jesus pays the cost of my sin and your sin. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. The best part, listen, is the, is the part where our sins are carried far away and nailed to a cross. Our, the best part is where our shame is traded for the righteousness of Jesus. The best part is where God's grace stands as a testimony to his glory and the cross stands and Jesus lives again and he reigns as king. The best part is where up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. That's the best part. And he stands as the risen, reigning Savior. That is the best part. Sin is paid for. Redemption is secured. The king is alive. And he stands as Lord. That's the best part. So today, here we go. Into the best part. Today, very quickly... We're going to prepare the context for our movement into the next three chapters, 22, 23, 24. Today, we set the context for our movement into those chapters. Chapter 21, verse 37. Here we go. Now, during the day, he was teaching in the temple, but at evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount, which is called Olivet. Now, I want you to really listen to that. I want you to try to, to set the stage in your mind. We're heading into the last days of our Savior, Jesus. Again, I want you to listen and set the stage in your mind. Verse 37 again. Now, during the day, he was teaching in the temple, but at evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. This is the pattern of Jesus' last week. With the cross looming, now I think about that, of all the things that you would do, of all the things that I would do in your final week, with the cross of Calvary looming, these are the daily happenings of Jesus' last day. The Bible says, during the day, he teaches in the temple. Now, I want you not to miss the irony of that. Jesus... In these last days is teaching in the temple. Imagine that for just a second. Imagine how profound that is for just a second. Here is the Messiah teaching of the Messiah. Here is the king preaching the kingdom. Here is the Savior himself. Oh, they had longed for salvation. They had talked of salvation. Isaiah said, oh, that God himself would rend the heavens and come down. They talked about salvation, but now the Savior proclaims salvation. God himself speaks forth the word of God. In the daytime, he teaches in the temple. But at the evening, 
he would go out and spend the night, the Bible says, on the mount that is called Olivet. So here is Jesus, and he's teaching in the temple, and that's, that's how he spends these last days. This, this last week, he would teach in the temple, but in the evening, he would go out, and he would spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet, the Mount of Olives. This mountain, a short distance outside of Jerusalem, really could tell a story of itself. This mountain, this short distance outside of Jerusalem, this mountain, this little hill up outside that's covered in, in olive trees, that's where David, when he quickly leaves Jerusalem, Absalom is, Absalom is rushing into, into the city and, and David is forced to leave quickly. He leaves and the Bible says that he goes and, and the sin of his household, the, the pain of his household, the chaos of his household. Here's his son and he, he rushes into the city and King David has to leave in a hurry and he goes to this mountain and the Bible says and he weeps all the way there. On the Mount of Olives, he, he weeps over the pain and the chaos of his sin. It's on that mountain. It's on that same mountain that David's son, King Solomon, set up high places so his pagan wives could go and worship. Now, he, he broke the command of God. He wasn't to intermarry with these pagan people, but he takes these pagan wives, and, and they, they desire to worship. And so he says there on this mount, outside of the city, the Mount of Olives, they would set up these high places for them to go and worship their pagan gods. And so even though they're outside of the city, and maybe they've got some distance from the Mount of Olives, they can still see the Temple Mount and the true worship of the one God. So here on this mount, there's the practice of evil pagan worship. It was on this mountain that a young king named Josiah would take his stand for God's word. It was on this mountain just outside of Jerusalem. He would take his stand for the, the glory of God. And he himself, he goes and he pulls down those high places. He pulls down those false temples. And he has those priests, those pagan priests put to death. And it's there on the same mountain that he takes a stand for the word of God. All for the glory of God. Same mountain. We know this mountain that had seen wickedness and had seen worship. It's the same mountain that we find Jesus would retreat to pray. When the crowds would press in, he would, he would withdraw and he would go to this mountain and there Jesus would pray. We know that it's on this mountain that as he comes over the hilltop and, and makes the final trip into Jerusalem, it's on this mountain that he prays over the state of his people. He came into his own and they received him not, but he looks at them not in anger, but, it, but in, in, in severe pain. He weeps over his people. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it's with its feet on that mountain. It's on this mountain that Jesus will be betrayed. The garrison comes, a bunch of guards, and they're led by Judas. And it's on that mountain that Jesus is betrayed. It's from that mountain that we'll find Jesus ascends and he goes to heaven. The Bible says it's on that mountain that Jesus will come again. So during the day, Jesus was in the temple and he teaches. And at night, Jesus retreats and he rests on 
this mountain. Verse 38. And all the people, listen to this, and all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. The word, the word all there, the Greek word for all, means a great number. And so understand, this is no small crowd. This is a vast number of people. This is a, a sea of people that would come to listen to hear Jesus. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. As I picture this scene, as I picture these days, I think about the Old Testament sin offering. The Bible tells us that the family would take a, a lamb, they would select their most valuable lamb, their, their lamb that didn't have a blemish. They would, they would take that perfect lamb and they would, they would raise it themselves. They would raise that lamb. It would become familiar to them. They would bring it home. It would be at their house and maybe the, the kids would help feed it and that would be part of their routine. In the morning, there's the lamb and they would feed the lamb before they rushed off to their other things. In the evening, they would, they would come again and they would feed the lamb before they went in for their evening activities and the lamb would hear their voices and the lamb would get used to the, to the voice of the master and the voice of the wife and the voice of the kids. The lamb would, would hear their laughter as they're laughing in the house and it would spill outside of the window and he would hear their, their laughter as they play there in the yard and the lamb would sleep there at their house and maybe in the afternoon when it was sunny, the lamb would run and it would kick and the, the kids would chase after it and the, the, the lamb was part of their lives. It was familiar to them until they would take this lamb that they knew, this lamb that knew their voices, this lamb that had become personal to them, and they would take it to an altar, and for their sin, it would die. And picture this scene as well. Here the lamb of God walks down into this city, he is rested there on this mountain and he walks down into the city and as he does, he hears them. He hears the voices as he draws closer. He, he hears the crowd as he draws closer and, and he begins to see them. And maybe some of them are familiar to him and he, he looks and he can see their eyes and he can see the, the joy in their eyes or the hurt in their eyes. And so he hears and he sees this people and maybe on the road as he comes down in and, and maybe they're at the gate to the temple, there are kids and they're outside and they're playing and he hears the, the laughter of their games and the lamb also was familiar to them. And they didn't know that the voice that they hear was the Lamb of God. And as they became familiar, they didn't know that, but he knew. They, they didn't know they came to hear, but, but he knew, and he came to save. And this Lamb that was also familiar to them would be taken to an altar, the cross of Calvary, and still for sin, he would die for the sheep that he knew, but they didn't know him. And there he would die of no sin of his own. As he comes down into the city, the lamb is familiar. They listen to his voice and hear his teaching. That's the lamb they didn't know. But he knew and he came to save. Chapter 22, verse 1. 
Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. Now the immediate context of these last days is being set now. God's people, the Jewish people, had been given some high holy days, some days that were set apart from other days that they were to observe, that they were to celebrate. One of those was the Passover. This was an event where they remembered the, the event of the, of the blood of the lamb being taken and smeared over the door. They're, they're there in Egypt in the last of the great plagues. They would take a lamb and they would smear the blood over the door and, and the angel would pass over and they would be delivered. God reminded them of his grace. God reminded him of his promise of deliverance. And so he had trained them. And so this Passover event, they celebrated the blood that would be spread over the door that they would understand God is faithful. God is powerful. God delivers. Salvation comes through the blood of an innocent lamb. Another was to celebrate or observe the, the feast of unleavened bread. They would remove all the leaven, all the yeast from their house for seven days. And it was quite an ordeal. They would sweep it up and the, the kids would participate and, and just a little bit of leaven. Remember Jesus quotes that. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump and just a little bit would spread. And so they'd be very diligent to remove the yeast, the leaven from their house. It was to, to remember the day that they had to leave Egypt in haste and, and their deliverance had come and God had provided their deliverance and so they're not gonna have time for the bread to rise and so he says, take your unleavened bread and quickly go and so they would do this to remember the deliverance of God, the, the power of God. Again, it was to celebrate God's grace shown, his salvation that he provides. And these days, the Bible says we're soon approaching. Friends, be sure it is no coincidence these days. It is no coincidence that as Jesus walked down to teach, as Jesus trudged back up to rest, it is no no coincidence that Jesus was soon to go to the cross. It was no coincidence that it was going to occur on these days and where they had celebrated God's power to deliver, now deliverance himself would stand. As they had celebrated a blood that would save them, now the Savior himself will stand. And it is with salvation now dawning. It is with God's promises now fulfilling. It is with the light about to break into the darkness as Jesus, the Lamb of God, is set to secure the redemption of all mankind. Verse two, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death for they were afraid of the people. Do you hear that? The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death for they were afraid of the people. Friends, the stage is now set for the cross of our salvation. Friends, there is a collision course, and as the lamb comes down, as they collude, the altar is going up, and as evil men plot, the, the Savior now presents. And now all eternity hangs in the balance. Do you understand where we're at? Do you understand the crux of where we're at? Here comes the lamb and they're raising up the altar and all eternity hangs in the balance. We'll stop there today. 
I wouldn't miss the next three months. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Amen. See, I look forward to the, the breakdown of these events. I look forward to the revealing of the crucifixion for my sin, the wrath of God being poured out. I look forward to, to understanding the propitiation that is made. I look forward to seeing the risen reigning Savior step out of the grave. I look forward to that. But I want to tell you, I can tell you right now, Jesus wins. Our hope is in Jesus today. Our, our security is in Jesus today. Our salvation, the forgiveness of sin is in settled in Jesus today. If you've never put your faith in Christ, settle that today. If you've never put your hope in the Savior, listen, it's finished, he wins. Settle that today. His grace is offered today. Jesus wins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and I'm so thankful I'm so thankful for a gracious, kind, loving lamb who knew and who knows and who looked into the eyes of the sheep, people that would turn against him and nail him to the cross, and yet he goes anyway, he loves them. He would carry their sin far away, heap it on him, heap it on him. He'll remove it. Lord, I, I pray for the next few months as we go through these verses, I, I pray that we would, we would grow that our love for you would be deeper yet, deeper still. I pray that our resolve to, to honor and to live for the glory of the Lamb would be strengthened, that a fire would boil out of it. Lord, I ask that you speak to us. At the same time, I know the work is finished. And I know your grace is offered. I, I pray for some today that need to sell it. I pray that today, on this day, it would be the day of their salvation. Stir in their hearts. Lord, we, we ask that you would move in this time of invitation. I do. I ask that you'd be free to, to speak and to lead and to direct. And I pray for anyone here that doesn't know Christ. Lord, I, I pray that any barrier be removed. I pray that the gospel will be so thoroughly presented that they would understand. I pray that your spirit would draw them. I pray again that today will be the day of their salvation. For your glory, for your glory. Lord, I pray for us that are saved here today. I, I pray as we grow in the understanding of our Lamb that we would be renewed, that we would be encouraged, we would be steadfast, that we would stand. Lord Jesus Christ, I love you. I praise you. We worship you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.